It is good to see you. Uh, if you would stand, we're going to read from John chapter 10. I want to make sure you were all seated before I said that. John chapter 10, please stand for the reading of God's word. We will read uh, verses 1 through verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired man and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them up and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes and our ears, that we might understand the beauty of what it means to call you our shepherd, to know that the only way to the Father is through the Son. Father, I pray that we would understand this clearly despite the inability of the preacher. And it's in Christ's name that we do pray. Amen. You may be seated. I've got too many things up here. I'm sorry. I don't want to drop anything. I don't like to be wrong. Maybe that's why I keep going to school. Uh, In fact, uh, when my children tell me, you know, you're right, Dad, I make them repeat it. I pretend that I'm hard of hearing just so I can hear it a second time. Uh, But I don't like being wrong, but I especially don't like being wrong in public. And yet, when I was working in this church uh, years ago, and I was going through the process of ordination and examination, uh, I was on the floor of presbytery. Now, uh, 
Some of you may be familiar with this process. When a student is coming through, they, are, they attend presbytery, they answer a few, a few, a few, they go to a few meetings and they answer several questions. And then at one point, uh, they have to take a test, a really long test, uh, that measures what you know about scripture and theology. Uh, and then you go before a committee. And this committee asks you questions. And then you stand in front of presbytery and you answer questions. Uh, it's a beautiful process in which I felt shepherded, cared for, but also I realized there was much I still needed to learn. <laughs> and one of those questions, uh, I stood in front of Presbytery and I answered it wrong. Uh, and because of that, I've never forgotten it. Uh, I was standing there uh, at Bon Clarkin, uh, and the question was asked, John, can you think of a place in the Old Testament that talks about a shepherd outside of Psalm 23? And I couldn't think of a single one. Uh, I said, Psalm 23. Uh, I said, you know, well, in the New Testament, John 10, but that wasn't answering the question. And afterwards, it wasn't, you know, no one, he just, the, the man who asked the question said, I encourage you to go back and meditate on Ezekiel 34. This is a passage that every person who is considering ministry needs to take time to consider and constantly remind themselves. I think this passage in John 10 builds off of Ezekiel 34. And it builds on the idea that as pastors, we need to know that God is our, that Christ is our shepherd. But also the responsibility that we have as under shepherds, that we need to imitate Christ. And because I answered that wrong that day, I've been thinking about it for over 10 years now. I told you I don't like to be wrong. Uh, For personal ministry, but also because our calling is to be missionaries, to teach other pastors in in the context in Columbia, South America, about how they might serve the church. There are too many pastors in Columbia who seek their own gain, who starve the sheep to feed themselves, and who offer a message that replaces the gospel for temporary satisfaction. On the other hand, there are also many pastors who desperately want to be good under-shepherds, who who want to communicate the message of the gospel clearly. We seek to serve them in our ministry. But these themes are also important outside of those who are called to full-time ministry. There are some people here who have served in full-time ministry their whole life. But there's others who haven't felt that call. This passage, however, is for elders, is for pastors. How are you leading Christ's flock? This message is for fathers and mothers. How are you leading your children, your primary responsibility? This message is for those who attend church and who stood up when children were baptized and who made vows to care for these children and help bring them up in the way they should go. How are you caring For God's flock. This message is also for those who have not yet committed themselves to following after Christ. Maybe you've been failed by a pastor or a parent, a father or a church member. I would encourage you, look to the good shepherd. That's what this passage calls us to do. In this passage, John uses several metaphors of sheep. Uh, And he talks about the bad guys trying to steal the sheep. He talks about lazy shepherds that don't care for the sheep. But he also talks about the gate, 
the door that distinguishes between the sheep that are in his flock and those that aren't. And how this gate or this door protects the sheep. And it talks about the good shepherd who calls and who leads the sheep and even dies for the sheep. Who lays down his life for them. So my hope today is that we would understand that because Christ is the way to the Father and the good shepherd who sacrificed so much for the sheep that we should participate in the care that Christ has for his other sheep. But we can only do this by learning to hear his voice, to recognize his voice, and to follow hard after him. To participate in Christ's care for others by meditating on his care for you. So, let's look at this passage. I'd ask you, keep your Bibles open, and we're also going to flip over to Ezekiel 34 in a second. So if you want to put your finger in there, you're welcome to do it. In the Old Testament, this sheep metaphor is throughout Scripture. Uh, What's amazing is God compares the nation of Israel to sheep, and it's not very flattering. Think about the facts, the things that you know about sheep. They're stubborn. Very stubborn. They're sort of helpless. Uh, From what I understand, if they get flipped over upside down, they stay upside down unless someone, the shepherd, comes and flips them back over. That's not a very, that's sort of a little bit dangerous. Uh, Unless they are sheared, they are not able to shed anymore. There was, somebody showed me a video of a sheep who hadn't been sheared in three years uh, and who wasn't even able to walk because of that. Sheep often aren't, they're not able to defend themselves from prey, from predators. I'm sorry, they are prey. Uh, And so when the nation of Israel is compared to sheep, and in particular sheep without a shepherd, it's not meant to be flattering. It's not meant to make them feel good. And as a result, when we are compared to sheep, It's to remind us that we are helpless without the shepherd. In the Old Testament, Joshua was appointed in the place of Moses in Numbers 27 that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep without a shepherd. The judges were supposed to be, they were commanded to shepherd the people of Israel, 2 Samuel 7, 7, and they failed to do so. When Saul was king, the Lord said to Saul, you shall be the shepherd of my people. And he did a terrible job of it. During the reigns of bad kings in 1 Kings 22, Jehoshaphat, uh, during his reign, God says, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep with no shepherd. Leaders, during the time of leaders and false prophets and priests, during the time of the minor prophets, it says in Zechariah 10.2, Therefore, people wander like sheep who are afflicted for their lack of a shepherd. Throughout the Old Testament, there's a constant theme that the sheep aren't doing a very good job, And the under-shepherds aren't doing a very good job. And this culminates in Ezekiel 34. And I'd ask you to go to turn to that passage. This is that that chapter that I got wrong uh, during that examination. In verses 1 through 6 of chapter 34 of Ezekiel, you see an indictment of the shepherds of Israel. I'm just going to go ahead and read from verse 2. Ah, shepherds of Israel, you've been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourself with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd, and they became food for the wild beasts. Then in verses 7 through 10, there's a sentencing of the shepherd. The Lord declares what, what his judgment is. But... 
Then the Lord says, starting in verse 11, that he will rescue these sheep from outside threats, from the dangers. Look at verse 11. For thus says the Lord, behold, I myself will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock, when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness, and I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost, I will bring back the strayed, I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the strong I will destroy, and I will feed them in justice." In the following verses, in 17 to 22, it describes what I explained to the little kids as the bully sheep. The sheep that are pushing the weak out of the way so that they can drink. But in doing so, they trample and muddy the water for everyone else. And they hurt those who are weak. Uh, Those that are undernourished remain even more undernourished. But in this passage, God says that he will deliver the nation of Israel even from these sheep. And this is how it ends. Verse 30 and 31, and they shall know that I, the Lord their God, am with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God, and you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord. This passage is so convicting. And by the time of the New Testament, the nation of Israel was familiar with being called sheep, And they were also familiar with this indictment of the bad shepherds. As we saw, you have the judges, the prophets, the priests, the kings, who were supposed to guide and teach God's people, and they had failed. But there's also the promise of God as their shepherd, who will be with them. And in John chapter 10, Jesus returns to this familiar metaphor, showing that he himself is the fulfillment of, of this metaphor with a heightened level of intimacy and it resolves the problems of Ezekiel 34 for this is his flock you see God himself is the shepherd the sheep hear and recognize the voice of the shepherd it says that in verse 3 16 and 17 they go in and out with the shepherd verse 9 and they are safe because the shepherd himself lays down his life for the sheep in verses 14 and 17 of John 10 And this is the promise for you. Jesus is comparing you to sheep. We are stubborn. We are weak. We are helpless without the good shepherd. And as we look at this passage, uh, we're going to contrast the metaphors of the bad characters and Christ. But I want us to ask two questions throughout. What does this mean for me as a sheep? But also, what does it mean for me as an under-shepherd? Yes, you are a sheep. But you are also called to care for the flock of Christ. And I want Ezekiel 34 to ring in the back of our minds as we think about this. So first, the dangers of the sheep. I want you to notice that in John chapter 10, there are some dangers that are active, and there are others that are passive. What do I mean by that? The thief and the robber, they are, that is an active danger for the sheep. Now, they can be distinguished because thieves and robbers have not come in through the door. That's what verses 1 and verse 8 say in this passage. 
Now, this reference to the thief and robber refers directly to those that are standing next to Christ at that moment. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law from John chapter 9 are angry because he healed a man on the Sabbath. And in John chapter 10 verses 31, they will try to stone him because he has claimed to be God. They've rejected Christ and they offer other ways to the Father. But this applies to today as well. If I'm an ordained minister, but I've never come in through the only door that is Christ, I have no right to shepherd Christ's flock. For myself, but also for my students at the seminary in Columbia, the first and most important qualification for ministry is submitting my life to Christ, dying to myself daily, depending on him and following after him. This sounds basic, but this has to be the first step. You have to be walking with the Lord. But also, these thieves and robbers can be distinguished because they come to steal, kill, and destroy. We saw that in Ezekiel 34, in verses 1 through 6, that the, the dangers for the sheep. But in Colombia, as an example, many large churches teach what's called the prosperity gospel, or the health and wealth gospel. Now, in this, people are told that if they give money to God, God will give them more money. Blessings are defined as money or good health, and life is seen as a contract between people and God. I will go to church and tithe and serve the church as long as, and then fill in the blank. They may have good intentions, but the gospel is not a contract where our behavior gets results from God. We will not strong arm him. The gospel is you are a sinner. Christ died for you and you need him. You were made for a relationship with God and nothing else will satisfy. Your relationship with God is not for money or comfort here on earth. For those of you who've lost a spouse, a child, or a parent, if you were offered either time with them or their stuff, maybe your inheritance, which would you choose? The question itself is insulting, is it not? The gospel is not about what God gives you. If you only want God's gifts and not a relationship with God himself, you may not know him. You see, life in God's family and his flock is so much more than things. You were made to work, not for comfort on earth, but so that as many as possible can come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Christ calls us to die to ourselves daily. God calls us to live as though our time and our resources were his and we were merely stewards. Jesus died not to give you stuff but to give you a relationship with him, a way to the Father. That is eternal. And that's part of, a big part of why I teach in Colombia. The false gospel kills and destroys. It will not fulfill. But Christ is the only way to the Father. Now, the thief and the robber are active dangers to these sheep, but there's also a passive danger. What do I mean by that? And look, look at verse 12 and 13. The inactivity of the hired hand, or what the hired hand doesn't do, is a danger to the sheep. Now, the wolf is the real danger, trying to scatter and snatch the sheep, but the hired hand is the one responsible for the sheep. And the inactivity of the hired hand endangers... The sheep, just as much as the activity of the thief and the robber and the, and the stranger and the wolf. It's constantly putting the sheep at risk. But as an answer, Jesus does not provide 
rules for better prophets and priests or kings or under shepherds. He does not provide a set of rules for how we can be better pastors. What does he provide? He points to himself. In order to have life, the sheep must go through the door. For the sheep to be safe, they have to enter through the door, verses 1 and 2. And Jesus specifically states, I am the door, in verses 7 and 9. Now, in the book of John, there are seven explicit I am statements, such as I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world. And these are intricately connected with Jesus' claims that he is God. They're pointing back to the Old Testament descriptions of God as Yahweh, the great I am. And according to J.C. Ryle, this is a commentary set that your pastor gave me long before we knew he was going to be here. Um, He talks about how Jesus, for what Jesus is saying, every single sheep must enter through Christ if they are to enter God's flock. Every teacher who wishes to be a shepherd over God's flock must enter his office looking to Christ. So this door is the way the thief and the robber can be distinguished. But this door is also the way to distinguish the flock of Christ. By entering through the door, the sheep come to be in the care of the shepherd, and they come to be saved. In the the ancient Near East, especially in the Sinai region, so in the southern region where it's it's a desert region, uh, archaeologists have found these stone diamond fences. Uh, And so there was stone fences that were were quite high, uh, and, and they ended in a point, and that's where the gate was. Now, the purpose of this was to... Bring the sheep in at night so that they would be safe. And so the sheep that passes through the door in the evenings to sleep, but also the sheep that goes out the door in the mornings, were part of a certain flock. The closed gate keeps them safe at night, and the open gate is the way so that they might live, so that they might even eat. Think about John chapter 14, verse 6, where it says, The Christ is, Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. This gate distinguishes, shows which sheep are actually part of this flock. If you do not enter through the door, you are not part of the flock. It's so important. But also to have life, the sheep must not only enter through the door and go out through the door, they must follow the good shepherd. And there's intimacy. The sheep... Hear and recognize the voice of the shepherd, and so they follow his leading. Verse 3 caught my attention when I was looking at this passage. Uh, I just read it over and over and over again. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own by name, and he leads them out. His own. That, that term comes up so many times in this passage Uh, And it talks about how these sheep are his own. And because they are his, they listen to him. It's a contrast in verse 12 to the hired hand. Because the sheep are not his own. And so they do not follow the stranger. However, these sheep, they are his own. and And he knows them by name. And he walks out with them. Walking ahead of them. He is with us, Emmanuel. That's what gives us confidence. In verse 16, it talks about the sheep that are not yet part of his flock, but they need to learn to recognize his voice, and he will bring them into, their, into the flock and so that they will listen to him. When we lived here, 
Uh, our oldest daughter, I'm going to embarrass her. I'm so sorry, Nora. Um, when we lived here before, uh, when she was about two years old, uh, I was amazed. I think and every father, maybe every father and every mother goes through this, amazed at how quickly they start to learn and recognize things. And I was always amazed that, for example, on the days that I would watch Nora and her mom would leave, she would hear either her, the car coming or as soon as her mom spoke, she would run to that door. Even before she was able to speak, she had learned to recognize the voice of her mother. Thank goodness she was home, right? Even as even children do it, the sheep recognize the voice of the shepherd. How do they do this? Constantly being with them. How can you learn to recognize the voice of the good shepherd? Spend time with the shepherd. Follow him. Invest in your relationship with Christ. If you do, you will learn to recognize his voice. The shepherd leads with his voice uh, so that Christ's sheep can go in and out. Uh, Also in the Sinai region, uh, where these uh, these gates have been found, uh, these these fences are generally on the desert floor. uh, And so there's no food. That's the safest place for the sheep at night. But in order for the sheep to actually be able to eat, they have to go up into the hill country. And so they have to be led out uh, into these hills to eat. And then they must return by nightfall. What's fascinating, if they stay within the, if they stay within the enclosure, they won't live. There's not enough food. They have to be led out. But if they stay out at night, they won't survive. They have to be led in. The shepherd goes out and in. With them, the shepherd himself is life. And it's fascinating to me. When I think of herding, I think of someone in the back pushing sheep forward, a, a, a sheepdog nipping at their heels. Uh, in Australia, there's a lot of sheep, and uh, <laughs> the shepherds ride dirt bikes uh, and zoom around back behind them, and it's, it's hilarious. But here, and it's actually still a custom today in the Near East. Even today, shepherds walk ahead of their flocks, speaking to them, sometimes singing to them, not behind them. Their identity as a flock comes from all entering one door, and they recognize that their safety comes from the shepherd being with them. That's the, that's the image here. That's the picture. As Christians, our shepherd not only leads us, but died for us. And this is the final point. The sacrifice of the shepherd. In verses 11, 15, and 17, it talks about how Christ lays his life down for the sheep. Unlike the hired hands, these sheep are loved and cared for at the expense of the shepherd's life. While the hired hand, as soon as he sees the wolf, he takes off running, the shepherd stays and lays down his life for the sheep. And what's fascinating, every time it says lays down his life, the verb is in the present tense. Right at that instant, Christ was laying down his life. In his life, but also, most importantly, in his death on the cross. He died that we might live. And every single sheep matters to him. In Luke chapter 15, uh, it talks about how the shepherd who has 100 sheep and still has the 99 goes after the one that is lost. And in John chapter 9, in the context of this passage, Jesus risks his life so that a young man of no importance who is blind can come to see the true light of the world. And as we see, in the, uh, if you look at the chap- verse 31 of this chapter, he's almost stoned for it. There is a relationship between this sacrifice of the shepherd 
and our knowledge of the shepherd. And I want to end on this in verses 14 and 15. Christ knows the sheep and is known by them. Just as it says, he knows the Father and is known by the Father. Christ knows everything about you. He knows your weaknesses, your doubts, your fears, your failures. And yet, he loves you. He loves me. He calls us to know him deeply with more intimacy than any relationship we could possibly have on earth. We know the shepherd and the shepherd knows us. That's what you were made for. However, we can understand this by looking at the intimacy between the son and the father. And this should really cause you to wonder. The father and son loved each other from before time began. Their relationship is logically prior to our even existence. Our relationship with God depends on this logically prior Trinitarian relationship. Father, Son, and Spirit. And as a, if you think about Jesus' life, as a child, uh, he, would, he would go to the temple seeking after his Father's business. Often Christ would go into the wilderness preferring communion with the Father than having food or sleep. He submits his own desires to the will of the Father. And so he lays down his life For his sheep, not my will, but yours be done. So when it says here that Christ knows his sheep just as the Father knows the Son, this should cause us to pause and wonder. Furthermore, this intimacy between the Father and Son is linked to his laying down his life in verse 17. Christ's unconditional obedience to the Father is eternally linked to the love of God to his love of the Father, and vice versa. Now, that passage, I, I struggled, this verse I struggled with a little bit, but the Father does not withhold love from the Son until he dies. No, no. Rather, their love for one another is bound up in their love for the flock. And in order for this flock to participate in this love, the Son, the shepherd, must lay down his life in order to take it up again. Verse 18. This sacrifice of the shepherd is our only hope in life and death, because he rose again, we have hope to live with him forever. 1 Corinthians 15. We have hope because he knows us and we know him. And this assurance comes not in ourselves, comes not in our value, comes not in what anything we have done, but it comes solely because God loved us first. And he gave his life for us. And we are called to participate in this eternal love And the only way to the Father is through the Son, the door, the good shepherd. So first of all, if you have not put your trust in him, do it. It's what you were made for. For those already following after Jesus, I would encourage you to allow this invitation to drive your daily work, your daily ministry. Pastors and elders, whether you're retired or not, you are responsible for the Lord's flock, fathers and mothers. Your first responsibility is to point your children Towards the good shepherd. To trust in nothing else but only in Christ. The way to the Father. Church, at each baptism you commit to caring for these little ones. Follow hard after the Lord that you might better lead others. As shepherds imitate the good shepherd. However, in our failure. Because the reality of ministry is it's failure after failure after failure. Unfortunately, oftentimes all of us. I know I certainly am. More like the pastors of Ezekiel 34, caring for and worrying about my own needs 
rather than the needs of the flock. But in the midst of our failures, be encouraged. You are not the good shepherd. Christ. Christ is the good shepherd. And as sheep, know that you live because the Lamb of God died in your place. Don't be a bully sheep. <laughs> right? Be a sheep that leads others to more closely follow after Christ. People often say that wherever one sheep goes, all the rest follows. Be the one that encourages others to follow hard after Christ. And finally, I would ask that you pray for us as we go back to Columbia. Our departure date is supposed to be the middle of June. and We'll be uh, teaching at a seminary there. Pray for us that we would be able to encourage pastors who are called to be under-shepherds. Pray that these, what these students learn in class and when they see our lives, both our successes and our failures, because we'll be living there with them, we're living in the dorms, that God would use it to draw them closer to Him. That this would encourage them to learn and recognize and point others to the voice of this shepherd as they shepherd others. In hindsight, I'm really thankful that I missed that question on my ordination exam. Uh, sometimes it's good to be wrong. That error is a constant reminder of my call, my failure, and as an under-shepherd. And I'm also thankful for this church. As I was cutting my teeth, ministerially speaking, you walked with me. Uh, you gave me advice. You allowed me to fail. You helped me pick up the pieces when I did. And you often prayed for us. And so, <laughs> we often also pray for you. Uh, we pray for your kids. Uh, we grieve I grieve about things that I should have done differently. But I also trust that God can work even now, despite my failures. Because he, not I, is the good shepherd. Thank you for supporting us way back then. Thank you for continuing to do it now. Uh, and as we seek to serve the church in Columbia. But especially, thank you for pointing me during my time here uh, to the good shepherd. Thank you for doing it for all our family. Uh, please pray for us as we try to pass on uh, those gifts that you gave to us.